Welcome to Haunting History, the podcast that reaches back into the past for the events that still haunt us today. Tales of true crime, mystery, and the macabre. And when we're lucky, the stories were history and the people who lived it and the paranormal meet. Now who doesn't love a good ghost story, right? Following is an episode that we recorded in front of a live audience on Friday night at the Corona Public Library. You'll notice there's some stops and starts and some bloopers, but we went ahead and released the episode exactly how we sounded on Friday. Pay attention to around 49 minutes. Um, the library's equipment let out a sound burst that scared the audience, and you will notice that when you hear it. Sorry about that. The on-air sign on that table means that we are currently recording. If you choose to speak during this time, please be aware that by doing so, you are agreeing to your voice being published on Haunting History Podcast and become the property of Haunting History Podcast and Tattered Tales Media Company. Tonight, we will be very much like you were in the audience of the taping of the live show. Like any recording, we may have to stop and start and repeat sections. The recording of tonight will be made available next Wednesday on all podcast platforms for you to listen to. The sheet of paper that you were all given when you came in that has links to all major social media pages and the two large podcast platforms. Finally, please think of yourselves as the fourth co-host. Clap, laugh, even boo if you feel so inclined. But do keep whispers amongst yourselves to a minimum. After the episode recording is over, we will be doing a Q&A and giving out some merch. Now on with the show, please welcome your hosts of Haunting History Podcast, Kat, Amy, and special guest, Anthony Donatelli. <laughs> How we good, Cameron? This is so much scarier than I even anticipated. <laughs> Welcome back to Hunting History Podcast. I'm your host, Kat. And I'm Haley. And I'm Anthony, the special guest. Is the mic on? Can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah? Everybody can hear you. Oh, ooh, spooky. <laughs> I'll be the one you guys no, boo tonight. It. Leave it. Do it. Do I just leave it there? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Let's leave it there. <laughs> All right. No one's going to boo you tonight. You're always the most entertaining. Um, We're just going to jump right in since Cameron gave you all the information that you need. Hauntings in libraries fit together. After all, many libraries are old buildings filled with even older books. It's only natural that spirits... Sorry, remember you told you were going to stop and start? (sighs) Hold on. It's only natural that spirits feel some draw towards these places. Throughout history, libraries have been essential in preserving and sharing knowledge, fostering education, and promoting cultural change. The history of libraries is a rich journey that spans thousands of years. Libraries have played a vital role in the preservation and dissemination. How do you say that word? Someone, like slow. (laughs) Preservation and dissemination of knowledge and information, and draws people from all walks of life. The earliest known libraries date back to the ancient Mesotomia time. I can say that, but I can't say decimation. See? (laughs) Ancient Egypt had its own form of libraries with scrolls and papyrus documents stored in temples and other sacred places. The Age of Enlightenment in the 18th century saw a surge in the creation of public libraries with a focus on making knowledge accessible to all. The American public library movement, spearheaded by figures like Melville Dewey, creator of the Dewey Decimal System, 
led to the establishment of numerous public libraries across the United States. For most of us, we don't think of libraries until you need one, to look something up, get a passport, or borrow a book rather than purchase it. For others, a library can be the center of their social circuit. I almost said social circus. Their social circle. Hold on. This is what really has to happen at our home, too. She's always too far. Go. Here you go. <laughs> Later on, she's going to go like this and like this when I'm talking. Just watch for it. Where was I? Passport, borrow, blah, blah, blah. For others, a library can be the center of their social circle, a place they can go to get away from their home or their home away from home. It's no wonder that there are many stories of hauntings at library. On any given day, they're filled with people from all walks of life. The learners, the browsers, the true academics, and even people who only looked up the address to get their passport photo taken. The people who founded and built libraries didn't do it because it was a business venture or for them to make any money. They built them because they were passionate about something, whether it was cultural or knowledge or the, to help people find those things. If you look up how many books have been written about libraries, there's actually a top 50. Did you know that? That there are literally that many books written about libraries, that there's a top 50? And I think almost half of them are on haunted libraries. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about a few, but hopefully at the end of this, you'll be inclined to look up the library in your city and find out who founded it and their stories. Our first library takes us to Peoria, Illinois, to the Peoria Public Library. According to local history... The library was, this is where Haley's going to shit over everything I say. Just, oh, good Lord. <laughs> I almost didn't do the story because I knew you're going to be like, nope, right as soon as I finish it. The library was constructed on top of land believed to be cursed. <laughs> the story goes that in 1830, Mrs. Andrew Gray, a prominent citizen of the area, resided there until financial woes led to her foreclosure of her home. It said she then placed a curse upon the property and any future owners. Thoughts? Background. I don't necessarily believe in all the haunted things. I'm the skeptic of the group, I'd say. I don't know if you're a skeptic or like a shitter. You like <laughs> shit on things. I'm a realist, okay? In all aspects of my life. So what do you have to say about the cursed land? I'm waiting for you to finish like a good co-host. <laughs> Anthony, your thoughts? You're just going to sit there. I'm not getting into this. You guys do your thing. Anthony's around our family enough. He knows to stay out of it. Earlier, she had gained custody of her nephew, who ended up having frequent run-ins with the law, and at one point, she required a lawyer to deal with him and his misdeeds. The lawyer, a man named David Davis, took out a mortgage on her property for legal bills, and when it came time to pay, she didn't have the money, so he sued for foreclosure. An angry Mrs. Gray cut off her nephew whose body also happened to be later found floating in a nearby river. And that's when Mrs. Gray set the curse on the land and any future occupants. The library erected in 1994 on the site of her former residence saw the early and tragic deaths of its first three directors in mysterious circumstances. An article from the weekly Pentagraph. There was an art Pentagraph. I don't know what that is. Google Pentagraph. Isn't Pentagraph like the witch's thing? Pentagram. Uh, I'm going to move on. <laughs> what a good historian you so are. Nervous. This article from the weekly Pentagraph in April of um, 1915 reads, Veteran Peoria librarian fatally injured by a streetcar. E.S. Wilcox, librarian of the Peoria Library since 1891, was hit by a streetcar this afternoon and fatally hurt. He was 85 years old. 
And then there was Samuel Patterson Prowse, who died of a heart attack during a library board meeting in 1921, followed by Dr. Edwin Wiley, who died of suicide by, in 1924 by consuming arsenic. So all three of their first, um, like, head librarians died. I don't know if these are mysterious circumstances, though. I mean, one chose to do it. The heart attack totally sucks. And the streetcar, watch where you're going, right? Yeah, look both ways. I mean, he was 85 years old, so maybe he had bad sight. I mean, I can't see you right now. I know you're Lewis because I can hear you, but I can't see you. The reported sighting was that, uh, the first reported sighting of the apparition of Mrs. Gray. Oh, yeah. This is where you're going to. The re first reported <laughs> sighting was the apparition, apparition of Mrs. Gray's nephew pounding on the front door of the library. Okay, well, first of all, I thought apparitions were not... An apparition is a ghost. I understand that, but aren't there differences between ghosts it, who can interact with things? Intelligent hauntings? Well, I think... No, I don't know. There's probably people that know more than I do about paranormal trust. You want to... No? They reported... Okay, so... It said as many as 13 ghosts live in the building, including the former library director, E.S. Wilcox, of the streetcar fate, having been reported to roam the building. Numerous people have claimed to see him in shadowy doorways clad in full turn-of-the-century attire. Employees and patrons alike claim to hear their names whispered when they're alone in the stacks and they feel drafts. The current library director of the library remains unfazed by the fate of his predecessors and embraces the library's haunting history. For years, the employees were forbidden to speak about the ghost or hauntings, thinking it would be bad publicity. But he revoked that directive, and he thinks being one of the most haunted libraries in America has actually brought renewed interest in the building, with many people asking for events to spend the night in there to get a chance to meet one of the library's 13 ghosts. Do you, do you guys know how many people in America believe in ghosts? I mean, I'm, I know because I looked it up, but do you guys? <laughs> a lot, I'd assume. Take a guess. Let's hear you, Anthony. I don't have an exact number. I mean, pick one. Pick a number? Pick uh, How many people in the U.S. do you think? I was going to say, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I don't know my baseline, so. 68 million. No, I don't mean that, a percentage. You said pick a number. Okay. Now it's a pick a percentage, a not pick a fraction. Okay, now what's do a percentage? Math. Give me a percentage. Give me a percentage. 57. She said Anthony. Okay, I said well, Anthony. Taking too long. 68. I was super shocked, and you guys are ruining it for me. Like everyone's going to be like, "Oh, that's all." Um, Forty-one percent of Americans believe in ghosts. Twenty percent say they are unsure if they believe. Forty-three percent of Americans polled believed that demons exist, and eighteen percent claims that they claim to have been touched by a spirit. How many people here believe in ghosts? Who said that? Who said what? She say? That's a lot. That's I mean, that's probably forty-three percent of the audience. Yeah. Big percentage, girl. Uh, yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, I really can't see most people, so I, don't, I just saw things waving in the sky. Um, since we're already in Illinois, we might as well stay there. From Troy Taylor in his haunted Illinois site comes a story of Harriet Newell Haskell and the Montes Monticello, Monticello feminine. Ooh. Rewind. <clears throat> since we're already in Illinois, we may as well stay there. From the Troy Taylor website, Haunted Illinois, the story of Harriet Newell Haskell and the Monticello Fem <laughs> The Monticello Female Seminary. Got it. Ding ding ding. Yay. 
Now the campus of Lewis and Clark Community College. Damn, that's so much easier than Monticello Female Seminary. It was once an all-girls college founded by Captain Benjamin Godfrey, a ship captain. The college was an almost unheard of thing for girls during that time. Most girls were sent to finishing school to learn to knit, darn, and run a household. But the salty sea captain had daughters, and upon overhearing one of his daughters speaking to his wife, he determined that women deserve the same education as his sons, saying, educate a man, and you educate an individual, educate a woman, and you educate a family. I had to, I love that. You Round of applause. Yeah. Yeah, there he is. There. <laughs> and he has arrived. From 1838 until 1888, the school taught the ladies difficult courses in math, English, history, philosophy, foreign language, and music. Even though the goal was still a good marriage, Harriet Haskell was determined that they learned something as well. In 1888, the school was consumed by a fire. Although no one died, the energy of that night has left its imprint on the land. For 40 years, Harriet made the school one of the most respected female institutions in the country. Harriet was born in May of 19... Harriet was not born in 1935. Harriet was born in May of 1835. She was always regarded as a tomboy and was a favorite of both the neighborhood boys and girls. Directly from the website, I quote, she had a fertile imagination and was educated at Castleton Academy in Mount Hollyhock, then went on to become the first female headmaster of the Franklin School in Boston. She would also be named as president of Castleton and when she was first asked to come to Monticello, she refused. Strangely, as the school would later inspire so much devotion from her, she made the decision after visiting the college and found it wasn't to her liking. The Monticello board did something. The Monticello board elected her to the job despite her refusal, and this time Mrs. Haskell, Miss Haskell accepted, perhaps seeing the school as a challenge that she could meet head on. The students at Monticello took to Miss Haskell right away perhaps because of her wit and her sharp sense of humor. She was also an early advocate of sports for women, believing that if they were off, well off physically, they would be fit emotionally and morally as well. She was a woman before, before her time. Yep. It was 1835. For sure. Although she never married, Miss Haskell raised two nieces and purchased a federal-style home on campus called the Evergreens. In the 1890s, in the 1890s, in the... Uh, no, no, no. She purchased a federal-style home on campus called the Evergreens in the 1890s. Although she may have never raised daughters as her own, many students at Monticello left with the feeling that Miss Haskell had loved them as much as she would have her own children. She was often described as an educator who had no superior among ladies in similar positions throughout the land. She was not only an educator, but also a vital uplifting force to the students and also a sympathetic friend. Miss Haskell began a reign at Monticello Seminary that would endure for 40 years. Some believe that has never ended. Her tenure as a head of the college was the school's highest point, both by educational standards and financially. She had a knack for securing donations for the school, was well respected by parents and board members alike. She was also adored by the students. And when she died, the Haskell girls, as they called themselves, were deeply grieved. Former students from across the country sent flowers and cards and came from great distances to attend her funeral. The school will never again achieve the fame that it had when Harriet Haskell was alive. It did continue to grow and prosper for some time, but eventually time and co-educational colleges caught up with the school. The last class graduated from Monticello in 1971, and the campus became home of Lewis and Clark College. 
Much of the campus has been renovated, and what used to be dorms are now offices, and the old school chapel is now a library. In 1971, on the day Monticello Seminary officially became Lewis and Clark, one of the largest and oldest trees on campus crashed to the ground. There was no storm, no high wind, or active nature that day, so some say that it was Harriet Haskell upset over what had become of her beloved Monticello. Others are not so sure. Although the school doesn't talk about the hauntings or admit that it is in fact haunted, they believe that the legend of Harriet Haskell in their library is as much a part of the school as the books in the building. The stories of Harriet's hauntings started soon after her death in 1907. At the time, Monticello girls were using her stories to scare new students with tales of Mrs. Haskell's ghost wandering up and down the hallways at night. Others told of seeing her face reflected back at them in mirrors and have seen her apparition in darker, darkened quarters. Was that my phone? After we told everyone to be quiet. Turn their phones off. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't. Give I it to me. I don't know Lord how. Mercy. <sighs> Seeing her face reflecting back from them at them from mirrors. That's actually really creepy. I don't like that at all. Oh, that they saw her face in yeah. mirrors? Yeah. I've seen her face reflecting back at them from mirrors and have seen apparitions in darkened corridors where the ghostly tales of Harriet Haskell merely legends to frighten new arrivals at the school. Along with these chilling stories were events that are not so easy to explain away. Like the fact that the oldest house on campus had lights and fountains that would periodically turn on and off by themselves. There was also a steam-operated elevator in an old administration building that would suddenly start up and run by itself. The security guards would discover that no one was in it. However, it would mysteriously travel between the floors at night. As time passed, more and more people were encountering odd occurrences and even apparitions of Miss Haskell herself. Others were reporting the fact that the lights were turning on in empty rooms at night and that water would sometimes run in bathrooms for no reason. The building with the most stories is the library which was once the chapel known as Harriet Haskell's favorite place. A librarian who was working alone in the room one night claimed to feel someone touch her on the shoulder. When she turned around to see who it was, she found out that no one was there. She turned back to her work and again felt a hand tap her arm once again. This time, after finding no one there, she packed up her stuff and went home. The woman later stated that while she does not believe in ghosts, there was something in the library with her that night. She was positive that someone tapped her on the shoulder. Another recorded sighting of Harriet Haskell was experienced by a separate librarian. She was straightening magazines in a recessed corner one night and looked up to see a tall woman in a long, old-fashioned dress standing near the main desk. Before she could speak and ask the woman if she needed assistance, the specter gradually faded away. A sign that Miss Haskell is around is the scent of lilac. Many paranormal occurrences happen around the smell of her trademark scent. I think that's, see, that's why it's so important to have a trademark scent, ladies. <laughs> like, have a scent that people know that you're there years later, right? Do you have one? No. I need cigarette smoke. <laughs> uh, I forgot where I was. This is actually my favorite story. Um, a sign that Miss Haskell around is the scent of lilac. Many paranormal occurrences are around the smell of her trademark scent. There are hundreds of stories from normal people, believers, and skeptics alike, 
about experiences with Harriet, and one listed on hauntedillinois.com is the best one of all. One afternoon in the early 1990s, when the maintenance staff at the college received a call from a campus security guard. Someone's getting a drink. By the can way, you, these are the strongest little drinks I, know, I have ever had in my life. Oh, are we sharing? Yeah. That peep did not soak anything up. That it didn't. Haley threw yeah. hers away. The room is spinning right now. I know, you're sitting over there so quietly. You're like, ghost, yeah, what? It's like, what am I doing here? <laughs> Sorry, Cameron, were you picking up the ice? Are you good? One of the new elevators had gotten stuck between the floors with a female student inside of it. Could they please come over right away and get it working again? The young lady inside was becoming very agitated and was crying out for help. Two maintenance workers came over and set to work on the elevator. I feel totally bad now because I can hear him trying to do it a lot quieter. (laughs) He's like barely touching the eyes now. (laughs) The young lady inside was becoming very agitated and was crying for help. Two maintenance workers came over and set to work on the elevator. The woman inside constantly called out to them, very upset, asking them to hurry. After several minutes, she began to cry. The maintenance men who were working on the electrical panel worked as fast as they could and finally had it fixed. They brought the elevator down to free the trapped woman. When the doors opened and they waited for her to step off the elevator, the elevator was empty. There was no woman inside of it, and even though the car had made no stops, the maintenance men and the security guards who made the call swear to this day that they were talking to a woman inside of that elevator. Haley? I mean, I, I don't believe it. I don't know what you want to say. <laughs> well, I, I swear you need to have something, like, profound happen to you. Well, that's okay. I mean... What? I know, but I was, like, young. I can, like, pretend that didn't happen. It's <laughs> <laughs> good thinking. Yeah. You just block I, be- stuff I believe. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of. You happy. live in an old house, Anthony. I do. Yeah, right up the street. Is it haunted? I don't think so. I haven't seen anything, or at least I try not to. I walk. I, I close my eyes all the time when I'm walking around my house because <laughs> I don't want to see anything. I don't think it is though. My kids used to run to the bathroom at night down the hallway. They would not walk. They ran. Part of that was maybe they just had to pee really bad. Uh, it could have been, but I'm pretty sure they ran back too. <laughs> Part of that was our neighbors making us watch it when I was like seven. So. Not necessarily the ghosts in the house. So you you don't think that was how? Ha- what the hell? You don't think that house was haunted all of a sudden? No, I I, I don't know. Good lord, I that's our hard scientific evidence. <laughs> For anyone with interest in more ghostly happenings in Illinois, Troy Taylor and Cody Beck have a great podcast called American Hauntings. Troy Taylor has also all that stuff I just told you was from his website. Has written a ton of books on the paranormal, and you can find him by searching his name on Amazon. I just gave him a plug because it's actually a podcast I listen to. Our next library's ghost is so famous that there's a book written about her. See, I don't even, I almost want you to read it so you can talk crap the whole time. (laughs) The old, this is literally, like, it's literally an old-fashioned ghost story, so I don't. I'm just going to tell you something. Read it to me. Okay. The old Bernardsville Library in New Jersey was originally the Vealtown Tavern. The city was literally called Vealtown. Um, built in the 1700s. During the Revolutionary War, it was owned by Captain John Parker and frequented by soldiers in Washington's army who were camped nearby. Here is a legend, and it's a legend, and I say a legend because none of it can be proved. I have searched all these people in the story. I can't find them that they ever existed. 
But this story is very well known in the town. It's been passed down over generations and, gener well, 300 years. So the legend is, from the um, Biblio-Occult website, Captain Parker's daughter, Phyllis Parker, which, by the way, I don't know that Phyllis was a big name in the 1700s. Phyllis, like, that's like the 1970s, right? Like, not... <laughs> Nobody <laughs> agrees. They're all shaking their heads. People, you guys have a, a Phyllis in your family tree from the 1700s. Anyone have a Who has a Phyllis? No. That's Nobody. Like your, your, mom's, your mom's aunt, like your great aunt, <laughs> is Phyllis, right? Are you already saying it's not true? They, but Phyllis is not really, I mean, Philomena, maybe, but Phyllis, like Phyllis is kind of a weird. Maybe Phyllis was what they called Phyllis. Oh, maybe, and that's why I couldn't find her on Ancestry. Okay. I'll get back to you guys. I'll call you each and tell you what I found. <laughs> <laughs> Phyllis Parker fell deeply in love with one of his, her dad's tenants, a Dr. Byram. They married quickly following a whirlwind romance. Shortly afterwards, General Anthony Wayne of George Washington's Continental Army, he did exist, Continental Army stayed at the tavern overnight with his staff when his pouch containing top-secret documents inexplicably went missing. The general cried thief. Everyone had a legitimate alibi except for poor Dr. Byram, believed to be Aaron Wilde, a Tory spy. He was seized and tried for treason and immediately hung. It is still unknown as to whether he was, tr or not he was truly was a spy, or if General Mad, Mad Wayne Anthony was living up to his nickname. Captain John Parker retrieved his son-in-law's body and returned it to the tavern in a pine box. Phyllis, finding the box, ripped it open, unsuspecting of what lay within. Although its size and weight should have been, you know, an indication. Her screams tore through the entire tavern, chilling everyone to the core. Apparently, this discovery shattered her sanity, 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 sanity. That sounded so weird. The tea that much? You read all this. Nah. Apparently, this discovery shattered her sanity. The better Haley? Yes. And she spent many years afterwards sobbing and wailing in the tavern near where she found her beloved's cold corpse. I copied that. It's way better than I would write. That was your first one. That was good. My first cough? Yeah. I was dying. I was like dying a little bit inside. It's unclear as to where or when she died, but apparently she never left. The reports of her haunting date back to 1875 when the building was a residence in a farmhouse. The residents reported hearing footsteps, clothes rustling, and windows opening and closing. One story goes back to 1877, and this is a documented story. The lady of the house was home alone with an infant, and whilst quietly sewing, she was startled by sounds of heavy footsteps on the porch and what sounded like men carrying a heavy object. She heard the kitchen door open and footsteps crossing the wood floor and a heavy crate or box hitting the floor. The footsteps then seemed to walk back out the door. The woman froze, afraid to enter the kitchen, and the noises started, I almost said noses, and the noises started again with the sounds of wooden panels being ripped apart. Her baby woke up to the sound and cried out in fright. The woman ran upstairs, grabbed her child, and locked the bedroom door as the sound of a woman screaming echoed into the night. The screams turned to sobs and finally faded away. When the woman's husband came home, he checked the house and found no one there and nothing amiss. 
you're I'm just not looking give you at what me. I, what you want out of me. So I don't know. <laughs> so, but this would be. You believe the story? The, uh, they actually wrote this story out in 1877. I don't I, think they made the shut up. I do. I believe it because it sounds real, and also I'm going to believe it because if the spirits are here, they're going to like follow me home if you. I don't. So I'm just going to say, yes, I believe all of it. We're like, we'll show you. Yes, we'll absolutely. We'll show you, mister. We're coming yeah. home with you. The ones I believe are the ones that you can look up. Like, we will talk about a story later that I believe because you can look up the feelings that people are having go in line with what's happened in the area. But, I mean, this this is classic. Um, does everybody know the difference between intel- intelligent huntings and residual huntings? Yes, everybody Everybody in this room? No, I don't. No. I have no idea. Resi- okay, I found one person to talk to. Hi, Paula. <laughs> a residual haunting is not necessarily a haunting where a spirit is interacting with the living. It's literally just an imprint on the veil, like on the, on the land that plays over and over again. This would be very classic of just a video playing over and over again. Like they're that, stuck there? Yeah, like, no, she's, okay. no, it's not actually spirits. It's actually a traumatic event. I looked it up. I don't know if I wrote it down. Um, this is like a recording that can play many times. This story always unfolds in the same way over and over again. The person in a residual haunting is completely unaware and unaffected by your presence. And um, this is because it isn't a ghost or spirit, but an echo of an event that once passed. When a traumatic event occurs, a building sometimes absorbs these events, which are replayed and often played back at the same time of day or the same year or like, like anniversaries. No way to know if that's what the woman heard or if it was a repeat of history. But like when a traumatic accident happens, like something really traumatic, it can leave an imprint. And it's not actually someone haunting a place. It's just playing over and over. In places like, I don't know if you guys really listen to our podcast, um, Sir Lighthouse, Point Sir Lighthouse is built on granite and there's water and all kinds of things that are basically a natural videotape, like a, a VC, a, like a recorder. So, like, those things absorb what happened on the land, and it can just play back over. And I don't think just anybody, I think you'd have to be, like, kind of sensitive to be able to hear and see that. But you don't believe that story. Anthony believes it. One Anthony. Well, Anthony's a chicken, so. I have, like, chills just listening to you say everything. That's the Casper drink. Ready? Where's that emergency exit at? I think that was, yeah, I think it's your drink. I don't think it's right. Bartender, well done. (laughs) (laughs) Um, once the building became a library, the local police were aware of the apparitions there. One former police chief was walking his beat in 1950, which included looking around the library each night. One night, he noticed a movement within the building and followed it around window to window. He said he had seen a female figure wearing a long white dress that trailed on the floor. Apparently, sightings of Phyllis became so common, officers would park their cars during their breaks, eat their sandwiches, and stare at the windows, hoping to catch a glimpse of her. Reports started again in 1974 when the library was being renovated. A staff volunteer... Okay. My nose is so itchy. Oh, my God. I don't know what just happened. (laughs) This is hard. At home, I just stop, and Haley gets annoyed, and then we just back up and do it again. He said he had seen a female figure wearing a long white dress that trailed on the floor. Apparently, sightings of Phyllis have become so common... Officers would park their cars on their break, eat their sandwiches, and stare at the library windows hoping to catch a glimpse of her. Reports began again in 1974 when the library was being renovated. And that's a side note. By the way, don't renovate your house. Um, Oftentimes, renovations can um, stir up, uh, if you're a believer, 
renovations can stir up paranormal activity. When renovated, where did I find it? 1974, 1974, the library is being renovated. A staff volunteer walk, walking from her car to the library entrance saw through the front window an apparition of a man dressed in 18th century clothing. A search revealed that the building was empty. In the 80s, a library employee was staying late at the library finishing some work. She heard strange voices murmuring somewhere in the building and thought maybe people had gotten in. She, 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 she. she searched all the rooms and found she was alone and that the doors were all locked. Returning to her desk, she again heard the murmuring voices and contemplated checking the basement. But she was too frightened, so she packed up her things and left for the night. Another staff member was working late at night by herself when she heard a woman's voice humming and singing. It didn't actually upset her, but she searched the premises and confirmed she was alone. Another time, she noticed that all the lines of the library phones were in use, and when she picked up the phone, no one was there. Phyllis has become so famous that not only does she have a book written about her, the library actually issued a library card in her name. <clears throat> and that's not even the most haunted library. The most haunted of haunted libraries is the Willard Library in Evansville, Indiana. They've been dealing with the apparition for more than 80 years. It all began in 1876 when a real estate and railroad mogul, Willard, 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 why do all my words sound weird? Willard Carpenter began to bring his dream of building a library into fruitation. As a fervent abolitionist, it was his desire that the library be maintained for free use by all persons who desired to consult it. I found on the um, website bookwrite.com, Willard died before his library was completed and his death jeopardized the funding for it. Rather than leave his fortune to his surviving children, Willard left his estate to the library, and they all hated him for it. Furious, his estranged daughter, Louis, Louis, Louis Carpenter, sued to have access to the inheritance. She lost, and the library continued to grow. Then decades later, long after Louis had died and her father had begun to fade from memory, something strange started to happen in the library. In the early hour mornings, early hour mornings? In the early hours of morning, of a morning, mm. Okay, well, we're going to be able to hear that. Too. Who wrote this? <laughs> I know. What the hell? <laughs> and what I not were, only wrote it. And what it, were they drinking? <laughs> I know. Seriously, I wrote it. I researched it. I read it three or four times, and I'm still struggling. A one-woman show. People are staring at me. <laughs> in, the early hour, in the early hours of a morning in 1937, a janitor was making his rounds at the library. The library was calm at night, so he typically worked alone. It had never been a problem for him before. No. Ugh. It had never been a problem for him before. Thank you. He didn't see why he needed to work with anyone. At around 3 a.m., as usual, he went down to the basement stairs, down a small quarter, and began to head towards the furnace. Then a veiled woman wearing gray appeared before him. Scared, he dropped his flashlight, and when he went to pick it up, she was gone. He quit working for the library that night. Soon, other patrons and staff members reported seeing the gray lady as she became known. Sometimes she was seen wandering the halls, other times sitting on the stairs, even appearing in the elevator when, no one, when only one person was on board. And someone went on to describe that. They, they were on the library, I mean, on the elevator, on the library. They were in the elevator, standing there looking down, and they saw movement in the corner and literally saw the apparition of, the lady, of a lady standing there as the elevator was moving, and when the doors open, that's when she faded. So she, like, rode a whole floor with what she thought was a ghost. Soon, other patrons and staff members reported seeing the gray lady 
as she became known. Sometimes she was even seen wandering the halls, one time sitting on the stairs. Sorry, I'm repeating myself. Um, like Miss Haskell at Monticello, her appearance was almost always accompanied by her signature scent, which most describe as a heavy, perfumey feel. Smell. Feel? Most describe as a heavy, perfumey smell. There are stories of lights flickering when the staff is alone or books flying off shelves. Some think the gray lady is Louise Carpenter, making her unhappiness known to this day that her father left his great wealth to a building rather than her. But is it they believe it could be just about anyone who loved their library or even worked there at the time? And then on, the, on their website, they actually have a website that talks about their ghost. It says the gray lady was last reported on August 10th, 2010, in the basement hallway by the assistant children's librarian. Several library employees have reported seeing the ghost, including Margaret Meyer and Helen Cam. I don't know. I know you don't care. During a visit to the library, lecturers from the University of Southern Indiana say they saw the ghost peering into water. A library patron reported an encounter with the gray lady in the library elevator, and a local weather forecaster also reported an encounter with the spirit, and their unexplained occurrences include water being turned on and off, feeling cold, noises, books and furniture moved, feelings of being touched, and finding odd items. The reports became so often that the library set up ghost cams. You can go online at willardghost.com and watch any one of the six cameras set up around the library 24-7. And you can, I checked. Including the basement hall hallway where the gray lady was first encountered by the janitor. And I have to tell you, while I was doing research, I have two monitors. So I had one monitor on that hallway, and I was and it was dark. It was like 10 o'clock at night. And I was writing on the other one. I swear to God, I kept seeing things out of the corner of my eye moving. And I'm like, it's Sunday night at 10 p.m. No one's in that library. But you can go on there, and they have six different rooms that they have a library. But you have to be careful. The one, um, the research room scared the crap out of me. I clicked on it, and they have like a skeleton sitting <laughs> on a chair. But it's like super close to the camera, so you don't see it when you first open it. But all of a sudden, you're like, holy crap, there's a dead person. But I recommend looking at it. It's really cool. You really just go to library or Willard Ghost Cam, and it will show you all the rooms that you can look at. You can look at them. And you, so if you're, you can't sleep at night, go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know Anthony's going to do You want me to write it down for you? No, I've got it up here. That's okay. Anthony at 2 a.m. is going to be. Please don't. Yeah. I get freaked out watching my daughter's, like, baby cam from the other room because I'm just like, okay, any moment now there's going to be something that just swooshes by. And, and sometimes there doesn't... is, like, a little moth or something, and I'm like, babe, wake up, look, ghost. <laughs> and you say she doesn't talk to people. Like, she doesn't have conversations with... No, she's pretty normal. Haley, <laughs> Haley would have full-on conversations, like, literally, like, a question and answer, like, you got blue, and then bear. Like, someone was asking her questions, and there's no one in the freaking room. And we'd be like, Haley, you're talking to, and she just giggle and creepy asshole girl and now you don't, don't believe in you. shit but maybe she's just playing maybe she's faking all this like she I think actually she's does believe with it. she yeah. did it to my she's mom she's protecting her friends yeah <laughs> maybe you We're needed to get on. me tested I mean, maybe we needed to get you tested yeah. I was like you you would have full blown conversation someone you guys your babies have conversations if people aren't there someone I'm, we're the only ones really raise no, your hand <laughs> her daughter does some creepy ass shit Okay, so now closer to home, here at the Corona Public Library. Has anybody here ever been to the investigations that the library, you guys have been here? Do you guys probably have things happen, right? So what, what have you seen? Yeah. Are you putting on questions and 
she's uh, she's always gonna be better at telling us a better story. <laughs> we were upstairs in the room where like the heritage room. Yeah. Yeah. There was like some contraption that was like making a funky noise, and we were able to whatever. No, so we were sitting there looking at it because I was afraid. The whole time I was afraid, and he's wandering around down the aisle. And it's dark up there. Those aisles are dark. Very dim light. Yeah. And so we're over here because we're all in the group, and he's Mr. Brave, and he, we were asked, "Are we bothering you because we're up here?" And then it did Michael. I'm like, "Oh my God, it's his name." Oh, so it was a spirit box? You had like a spirit box? Where's that contraption? Yeah, where it says words, it picks words out. So it said his name, and I'm like, oh my god, I, I, after that, I was like, I don't know. Did you leave that night, or did you stay? Okay. You did. <laughs> but, then it was the library, and the flashlight And where was the flashlight thing at? At the Friends Library. In the, li the bookstore? Yeah. The Friends of Library. Where they say all the activity. Yeah. There's a lot that happens. Well, and you think about it, that room has... That's not books that got bought from a publisher. Do you know what I mean? Those books have been in people's homes. Those are beloved books that people kept. And, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Same, yeah, upstairs is yearbooks and, yeah, everything. and Sanborn maps that I'm going to talk about. Library services have played a crucial role in the Corona community for well over a century. The origins of a public library in Corona dates back to 1893 when Dr. Flora Gleason initially proposed the idea of a reading room for local residents. The initial reading room grew several times and moved locations around the city and became an actual library in 1905 when the community broke ground on a new building with funds from the city and the Carnegie Foundation. And by the way, that's my theory about haunted libraries is a lot of libraries were built um, through the Carnegie family. They donated money to any city that wanted to build a library. So a lot of libraries were built like in this late, early 1800s to late 1800s. And my theory is the buildings themselves are so old. So like this library is very new, but the original library was a Carnegie library. And um, the original building was a colonial revival. Revival. Why do I do a podcast? <laughs> <laughs> the colonial revival style building situated at the corner of 8th and Main served as the city library until 1971. In response to the growth of the city's additional city funds and grants, they built the building here on 6th and Main that we're in now. This building with additions make it 62,000 square foot facility that was dedicated in June of 1993. But obviously, there were other things on the spot before. The corner of 6th and Main, and I don't, did, I don't know if, if any of the history people are here, so you can't. Say I'm wrong. Um, like right now we're on the corner of 6th and Main, right? So um, when I was doing research, for, um, for those of you that don't know, we did a series of, before COVID, the library had experienced enough paranormal things or things that they thought were paranormal that they reached out to a paranormal group to come in and do ghost investigations. I don't even know how I was contacted because it's not like my Facebook says Ghost Hunter. But um, I, somehow I, I got involved, maybe because I'm sick of my ass where it doesn't belong all the time. Um, I was doing research for a paranormal research group. I'm not a ghost hunter. I'm not an investigator. But I do research for groups that do paranormal investigations. So we, they let us come in in advance with a group of people and investigate the entire library overnight. Like we were here, I don't know, eight hours overnight the first time. 
And then every time we had an event, we invited this, anybody in the city to come join us for a night of investigation. We would split up and go in different parts of the library, like they were just saying. And you could use your own equipment. You could use our, the, the group's equipment and um, just kind of collect evidence of what was happening here. And um, I had to do a bunch of research. So I had called the head of the Corona Preservation Historic Society. And we had spent a bunch of time in the heritage room here and pulled all the Sanborn maps. Do you guys know what a Sanborn map is? Anybody? I know something you don't. <laughs> a Sanborn map is a Sam. They started in 1838 or something like that. And what they are is they're fire maps. So like in the olden days, like when the San Francisco earthquake happened in 1906, the Sanborn fire maps were maps of what was on every single building, like what, where the blacksmith was, where the grocer was. So if a fire ravaged through an area, and in those days, it wasn't like the foundation was left. Everything was built out of wood. There was nothing there. So the, the Sanborn fire maps would be able to show like who owned what lot of land, how, what size it was, what was there. And the city of Corona happens to have all the maps for Corona from all the way back to, I think, 1840. When we were going through that, we were trying to figure out, because one of the complaints that we got constantly um, from people that worked here and from um, people that we talked to that had come in to do investigations, everybody had the same experience. If you went in the children's room, the common, I would say 90% of the time, people would come back and say they had a headache or a stomach ache in the children's room. If anybody, we would even send groups in there and not tell them anything and just be like, just go in there do an EVP session, but pay attention to how you feel. And 90% of the time, people come back and say they had a headache or a stomach ache. What we found out when we were, we were so intent on determining, like, was that corner where the children's section is, I think it's 7th Street. Does anybody know the street that, this street, what is this street called? Sam Reynolds. Okay. So, and Washburn is that way. So, in I want to say it was in the 18, oh, no, it was later, in the 1940s. They moved Main Street, how it's kind of a straight street now, and then it hit 6th Street. Main Street went at a complete curve, and Washburn went all the way through. So technically, the Children's Center back in 1915 was on the corner of 6th Street and Washburn, not how it is now. And knowing, I'm going to give this to Haley because I'm going to let her mess up a bunch of words. We decided, like, well, now we need to find out what happened in that area. Why are people, why is it so consistently the same response every time? Headaches, stomach aches, headaches, stomach aches, headaches, stomach aches. And then after she reads this, I'm going to tell you what someone just told me tonight happened to them. Go ahead, Haley. Um, so this is an article from March of 1915, and it's titled Tragic End of Prominent and Much Respected Citizen. And it's teeny tiny writing, so hold on. <laughs> Placing the muzzle of a 38 caliber revolver inside his mouth, Daniel Lord, a prominent and respected citizen of this place, fired two shots into his head shortly, out of, shortly after 8 o'clock yesterday morning and expired one hour later without having regained consciousness. Temporary insanity caused by ill health and financial worries is thought to have been the cause of rash deed, and those who knew Mr. Lord intimately are of the firm believer that his mind had been affected for two days prior. He left no word to explain his action. The deceased had suffered more during his life than many supposed, but he bore it patiently with fortitude. 
For 30 years, he had been a sufferer from stomach trouble, and at three different times, he had been at death's door. That's okay. You can all go. (gasps) (laughs) So the complaining of headaches and stomach aches in that area when a man sat, literally walked down 6th Street, um, another article that we found, we found a ton of articles. Um, He would walk the same way. His building was on the other side of Washburn. He would walk the same way every morning. He would say, good morning to the grocer, to the harness shop, and then turn the corner and walk to his building. But this day instead, he stopped on the land that the children's section is, sat under the tree, and shot himself in the head because of a stomach issue. So I didn't know this. I just heard this tonight. I didn't get her name that we were telling us this story. Do you, do you didn't get any of that? No. She was a um, page here. Is that what she said? In 2000, and her first sighting of anything that happened here is below the children's section is the um, boardroom and the, what was it called, the homework room? What? Yeah. Homework room. Um, she turned a corner and literally came face to face with an apparition that was missing his face. So... <laughs> what Do you want to go up there later? Saw? No. Oh. No. Why did you guys invite me to this? What the Are hell? Are you all right? No, I didn't, you weren't, oh, you weren't here when she told us that story. It's so funny how I just, you, you're reacting to it. I was like, really? And you're like all freaked out. Yeah, I'm like she, frozen, yeah. And in and, and my scariest experience ever, and I've been on a lot of investigations, um, when people let me go, because I'm not really good at them, so they don't always let me go. Um, I, clearly, I talk a lot, so. Um, we were here one night, and we actually had, the mayor was here with us. And we were, there was only like 10 of us, and we were wrapping up our night. It was probably 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and we decided to do another EVP session in the library, I mean, in the children's section, all thinking that we were going to get some kind of Daniel Lord thing, right? And um, I was talking, as always, and I stopped to take a breath. And when I stopped talking so clearly, like someone sitting here, we heard, all of us heard a children's laugh. It was a little girl laugh, like giggle. And it was so loud that all of us just like sat there and dude, dude, fuck. That was excellent timing. Did it sound like that? It's Kai. She's here. I freaking love that. So many people jumped. <laughs> Did I jump? Did I jump? Did you guys see? I don't know. I, I blacked out. I, uh... <laughs> Poor Anthony. No, I'm serious. It was so loud that, like, have, like, we just stopped talking. Like, we just sat there staring at each other, and finally someone goes, you guys all heard that, right? And we got an EVP. I wish I had the EVP. The guy that actually has the EVP moved to France. But um, Christy is here. Where's Christy? You were here that night, and you heard the girl giggle. It was the loudest thing you've ever heard in your life. And it was crystal clear, and it was so like, like, a, like a living person giggling that one of the guys ran outside to make sure that nobody was like walking down the street at two o'clock in the morning. I don't know why there would be, but um, it was that loud that we heard the girl giggle. And that's not the only story from this library. This library has so many stories of people seeing things, of things happening. Um, I know that people have claimed to hear there was a a male librarian here that had passed away and people have claimed to literally see him. They've had things fall off shelves. They've had, and you had your own experience here. Was anybody else here for the library besides Chris? Because Chris can probably tell you a lot, but 
Um, if they ever do it again, if the Corona Library ever does a ghost investigation again, you've got to go. It's so much fun. Um, yeah. Sure. Anthony's going to be the I'll lead be investigator in for that night. <laughs> it was, yeah. I'm sure it was. No. Yeah. It was. Um, it really is probably the scariest thing I've ever heard. And I've been on a lot of investigations, and most of the time I'm like, yeah, no, it's not real. So thoughts? Anybody? Either I'm getting that? all my books from Amazon now. I'm not coming back here. <laughs> not a chance. Your poor daughter's never going to get to go to the children's section. She'll never learn how to read. It's not. <laughs> not coming here. You're like, it's okay, baby. You have Audible. You don't need it. Right. <laughs> You're fine. So your thoughts on tonight's story as well? I don't have any. If we talked about aliens, I'd be on board. Yeah. She's all about the aliens and not about the ghosts. Yeah. So. <laughs> I don't know. That sounds wild. I don't know if I can get on board. I need one craziness at a time. Every time I tell her that we're doing a story, she's like, let's, like, she'll, like, yeah, okay, I'll record with you. What's it on? If I say, like, a ghost story, she's like, come on. <laughs> if it's a UFO, she's like, totally when. So I, we need to do more UFO stories. Um, are we ready for the ending, Cameron? Yeah? Is his voice just so deep? I can Thank you. Okay, so we're going to record the ending. This is, uh, like, what we do on everything. So um, I'm going to try and get through it in one take. Libraries may not be the first thing you think of when you think of haunted locations. It draws people of all ages and walks of life. The library is a place filled with people and things that are sometimes connected to other places and people. So the next time you're in a library, take a second to peek around a stack of books. Visit the dark corners and keep an open mind. You never know what ghostly librarian might still be shushing people from centuries ago. Okay, good, yay. Yeah. Sorry for all my, I don't, I don't, I really don't know why we do a podcast when I can't, I can't pronounce shit. It was way less. What, more, I stutter more or I mess up words more? Normally? Yeah. yeah. Wow, really? <laughs> um, does anybody have any questions? We're going to do like a little question and and then we're going to give some stuff away. No? Everyone's chicken? Hi. Hi. Um, you know, I, Danny, do you remember how I ended up? I think Danny. I thought y'all wanted to come in, but maybe Abby wanted you to come in and send you all one. She's saying from today. I mean, how we came here today was because oh. you introduced, because Danny was, oh, I yeah, Danny um, used to do all the, the paranormal investigations. I don't remember. Maybe it was, maybe I'm thinking it backwards, but I feel like I saw something on Facebook and responded or something when we did the investigations. Yeah. 
Was it that long ago? Oh my god. It doesn't feel that long ago. In every single one, we would have like 120 people show up. Like we would have full every time. Yeah, and there, there, there is more stories associated. Back in that corner, I know, I don't know what, um, they have um, a male spirit who will literally talk to anyone. He'll, they can get EVPs, he'll turn flashlights on and off. And we did determine that that apartment complex right over there, this um, man actually committed suicide in that apartment complex, literally like steps from the corner where they get all the activity. Um, I don't know that we've really, really connected him with it. And then there was um, the Scovilles were really big, a prominent family in Corona back in the 1800s. And um, they get, they used to tell all the time they hear kids playing. And one of their children lived in the apartment, one of their families, the Scoville families lived in the apartments and the young boy died of yellow fever. So they've kind of attributed some of the behavior to him. I mean, there's so much that happens here that the only story that I can validate, which is my favorite thing to do, if I can match up something in history with people experiencing today, is Daniel Lord. That's just so clear to me. That oh, you gonna shit on that? Like, you do you have an opinion about that? What I'm saying is that the, the things that can be matched with something that's actually happened. So you're good with the whole stomachache headache thing, yeah. You're good with. You're, I didn't know we were still going. Does anybody else have any other questions? <laughs> he shot himself the first time. Is that like what? He did though. Um, do we have the article? There, there's so many articles. In the worst part, um, it says suddenly a shot rang out and Mr. Lord fell over on his side. The bullet went a little wide off its mark, coming out near the right ear and inflicting no fatal wound. People who heard the shot rushed toward the fallen man, but not in time to prevent the tragedy. For following less than a minute later, Mr. Lord pulled the trigger a second time and sent the bullet crashing through his brain. Mr. Mark Enos and two daughters, Lily and Edna, and Mr. Long were standing on the porch of the Enos home, which is one of the reasons why it was easier to figure out where the streets crossed was because of the Enos family. Um, Mr. Long was the first to reach his side, but it was too late. So, yeah, he literally, the first one didn't kill him. You had a question? I saw a hand up over there. Yeah. Um, on the maps that you looked at, what was on that corner? Nothing. It was a vacant lot. There wasn't a gas station or something weird? Or something? Well, back then, no. It was, it, yeah, it wasn't a gas station. Yeah, it, it was... It, I think that he actually owned that land because right across the street was a building he had built too. Um, but at the time when he shot himself, there was just a tree on the lot. Anyone else? We're going to give some, yeah. We have someone here that, um, I, I, it's been a while since you guys came and did it last time, but I thought I remember hearing about gentlemen down in our locker room that uh, I don't remember if he drowned after being shot in water. So I was trying to remember what that was because I remember when I worked here, we were very uncomfortable sitting in that room. Yeah. Open. And then when you guys had come, or the group that had come and said someone had died by 
being electrocuted, falling in water, and drowning in like an inch of water down in that pond. You don't remember that? Chessa, Christy, do you remember that? I remember that. I know that was, it's really creepy down there. Yeah, like epically creepy. <laughs> <laughs> do you want to get the bucket of names? Does anybody else have any questions? Any more questions? What, what kind of equipment is used? I'm a terrible person to answer that. Um, Christy's probably a better one to answer that. Um, K2 meters, where you test for electricity, um, as often used because it's just such an easy thing to have. If you're in an area that there is no power to that area at all and you're getting electrical feed, they say that spirit activity can generate itself and mimics sort of an elect electrical feed. Um, voice recorders, huge people use voice recorders. Or you guys were using a spirit box at night, which is usually like it, it, what it is is picking up frequencies of like radio stations. So it's picking up all the frequencies and every once in a while pick out one word or one name or something like that. So um, that's used often. Now they're coming out with so much more new equipment. There's actually a show coming out that's called Haunted Discoveries, who are um, friends of mine. They used to be on Ghost Hunters. They have all kinds of newfangled flashlights to turn on and off. I don't love dowsing rods. People use dowsing rods. Stuff like that. But, I mean, it, within the next two years, you're going to see such a difference in paranormal investigations. They're going to be using all kinds of scientific ways to validate whether paranormal is true or not. Anybody else? And I'm probably not the best person to ask. I mean, seriously, people don't like me to go on investigations. I don't shut up. Have you ever thought about the weight of a soul on you? The what? The weight of a soul. The weight of a soul? You measured a body before and after death. I mean, I don't, yeah, you can, that's really creepy too. Like, a, like bodies, they've now determined that bodies, like when someone dies and they weigh them, they weigh a certain weight and, or before they die, and then after they die, the weight is less. And it's, yeah, consistent. So we are going to give away T-shirts. We are going to give away, because I know everybody wants one of these in their house. So, go ahead. Yeah, we're going to just pull names. Oh, wait. First, 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 I'm going to ask a question. If you answer the question, you get a t-shirt. Haunting History Podcast has a tagline. Raise your hand if you know what the tagline is. And you cannot be Tressa. Anybody know the tagline? You guys are bumming me out. Nobody knows. Do you guys know what a tagline is? <laughs> I say it every single episode. Nobody knows what it is? No, it's the one at the beginning. You're close. It's actually on the back of our sweatshirts. There you go. Who said that? You want a white or black? Can I throw it? Oh, sorry. 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 Yeah, I know. I really, he tells me I'm not allowed to throw things all the time. Go ahead. Okay, so an, another question? I don't have any more. Okay, so this is for the throw pillow. So if you don't, I'm sorry if you don't want to throw a pillow. Uh, do I need to read the whole thing? No, right. Like the last four? Uh, I tried to do the last three. Okay, 4990 is the last four. 4990. Do you want a pillow? I'm not allowed to throw anymore. <laughs> I would get up, but I'm going to like bump in my microphone. Okay. Okay, one more. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I think that one got dirty on the way here. Okay. Anthony has one. 
A what? A pillow behind you. That's not for me? You can, you want the pillow, Anthony? Anthony gets a pillow. So one more t-shirt. <laughs> we can raffle the pillow. No, we can, you can take it out. Sweat We're going to give you a t-shirt, too. 4970. 4970. Yay. What? Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone.